He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's, want to give them a wide berth. It's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> Talk a little bit about what's going on in the world. This time we'll start with Case. Well, this time of the year, as you guys know, I, I start to feel a great deal of anxiety and panic as to what candy I'm going to be handing out. And if you remember last year, I handed out stale candy hearts. It was not a massive hit. And so uh, I've got to figure out what I'm going to do this year. I would have egged your house. <laughs> I had a lot of extra Valentine's Day candy in 2021. <laughs> I'm going to blame it on COVID. As long as you don't hand out candy corn, you should be, it should be a, an enhancement from last year. So you should be good no matter what you hand out. <laughs> mm-hmm. I set that bar pretty low last year. You're getting egged either way. This is an anti-candy corn <laughs> podcast. We'll just say that. Right? Yeah. Yeah, good. I'm just glad we finally found the one thing we will shame. And apparently our podcast will candy shame. <laughs> we shame candy corn and Harvey Weinstein. Those are the two things. Yeah. 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 Sexual assault, <laughs> Nazis, and candy corn. Yep. <laughs> Rigby. Yeah, I love this time of year. Best sports time of the year. I love scary movies on TV. The only problem is you know I, my metabolism just not what it used to be so i used to be able to eat pounds and pounds of of uh candy but as adam sandler says in big daddy now if i have a chocolate shake my ass jiggles for like a week <laughs> well, i'll unconfuse you and toss it to james obviously i love spooky season i love horror movies this is my favorite time of year uh rigby you mentioned it's also a great sports time of year um while I don't pretend to know everything there is to know about sports, I do enjoy a good fantasy football season because you get to shit talk your friends, specifically a co-host and fellow Munson, Kyle, who's a noted sports fan who sucks <laughs> at fantasy football and has yet to win a game this year and has gotten crushed by me this week. And in one league. Don't don't make him sound <laughs> like it's like he's in all four of my leagues and is crushing me in all of those leagues. Four leagues? Wow. It's not going well. No one. <laughs> if your goal is to win any games, Kyle has not succeeded once. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty it's a rough. Long season. It's a lot. It's, it's, it's hasn't been great. 18 weeks. <laughs> I'm, I'm much like you all. I, it's my favorite time of the year. I love fall weather here in the Midwest. We know when Halloween's coming because Stephanie is in, like, I'm in Stephanie's DMs, you know what I mean? Like, setting up things. So. That's right. <laughs> but we're excited to welcome Stephanie Malone back to the podcast. She's the founder and editor-in-chief of morbidlybeautiful.com, a website dedicated to indie horror and genre entertainment, including movies, video games, books, comic, art, television, and more. She's also the co-host of the Cheer and Loathing podcast, where she discusses horror films and sh- shares bi-weekly top five lists on social media based on each episode's theme. Stephanie pays the bills by working as a professional graphic designer, copywriter, and creative marketing director. Her other passions include writing, producing indie films, and sharing her love of movies as a film journalist and Rotten Tomatoes approved critic. No big deal. A lifelong horror fan and serious cinephile, she loves everything from B-movies and slashers to art house indie horror to obscure cult films and everything in between, and that's why we love having her here. Mm-hmm. She's super active on her Instagram, and you can find her at srgreenhaw, H-A-W, 
she was previously with us last Halloween for the Jamie Lee Curtis episode and coming back for another Scream Queen. Welcome back to the pod, Stephanie. How's it going? Thank you so much for having me. It's very exciting. Welcome. Thank you. Every time uh, I'm researching for this podcast, I'm like, how do these guys do this all the time? Like, it is so, it's fun, but it is a lot of prep work. You guys are awesome. Tell us about the film fest you were just at. Yeah, I was just at um, Fantastic Fest in Austin. It is uh, my favorite week of the year. Um, Super great energy. Saw, I think, like 32 films. Whoa. Over eight days. So, yeah, it was kind of like show up at the theater in the morning and stay all day and, you know, get home at two in the morning. So I basically just, yeah, sat in a movie theater all day and night and it was pretty heavenly. It was kind of like the greatest. Pretty sweet. I'm a little exhausted, but it was, it was very worth it. It was an amazing, amazing time. Sounds awesome. Yeah. We're happy to have you back and uh, let's, let's dig into this. Rigby, birthdays, October 20th. What do we got? Yeah, we got a good list. First up. My man, Viggo Mortensen, Lord of the Rings, History of Violence, uh, Eastern Promises, Green Book. Love this guy. Fellow St. Lawrence University alumnus with myself. So he and I, you know, we got a lot in common. You go way back, huh? Way back. (laughs) And Kirk Douglas. No big deal, you guys. Case from Munson's at the Movies, Kirk Douglas from Everything Good. And Vigo from our episode, whatever. I don't, it's not about me. I don't want to make it about me. You just want to guess an age or just keep talking about yourself? What do you think? Let's go uh, 62. 57 for me. 65. I'll go 63. Oh, Stephanie at the last second. So he's actually turning 64. Come on. Oh. 64 years old. Good uh, <laughs> Good job, Stephanie. I think 60, he's in great shape. He does not look 64, so... Mm-mm. Good job, Stephanie. All right, next up, we got John Krasinski. Been in a lot of movies in the last couple of years, the Quiet Place movies, but we all know him most likely from The Office. That's where he got his start and became big. Married to fellow Munson, Emily Blunt. Mm. Reed Richards and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness as well. What's that? <laughs> it's a thing that exists, Rigby. That's all you need to know. It's when I think Johnny K is a fresh 40. One. Oh, wow. 44. Coming in with a good one. 44, James? 48. Ooh, 42. Stephanie, at the last second, comes in and wins again. <laughs> yes. All right. Turning 43. All right, Stephanie, now you have to impress us by going first to see if you can do it again. Yep. Because going last okay. is always an advantage. Always easier. Yeah, you got it. Last but not least, Snoop Dogg needs no, needs no introduction. We all know who he is. We all know what he looks like. But do we know how old he is? D-O-double-G. Most recently in Day Shift with Jamie Foxx on Netflix. I enjoyed that movie. I did too, actually. I'm going to go 52. Uh, Weed has been keeping this guy looking young. He is a fresh age of 82, (laughs) but the weed makes him look like he's in his 50s. So there's some aging agents going on there. I'm going 51. How old is Vigo? Vigo is 64, James. He is 48. And what'd you say, Craig? 51. Oh, right on the dot, Craig. 51. That's what you get, Stephanie. You were close to going three for three. Yay. Craig nailed it. Snoop Dogg's turning 51. It's that first place that screws me up. Good job, though. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how old Cameron Diaz was because I remember they went to high school together and I couldn't even come close to guessing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Happy birthday to everybody else. All right, so five actors we threw onto the wheel for episode 73, our annual Halloween horror episode. 
the actors on this wheel. We recycle every year, so we keep on the ones who didn't make it, and then we add somebody new. And so we did Je- Jamie Lee Curtis last year with Stephanie, and we replaced Jamie Lee with Max von Sydow. But he wasn't selected, nor was Doug Jones, nor was Bruce Campbell or Tony Todd. The wheel selected Nev Campbell, so the other Campbell. Nev's got 66 credits on her film resume, and there's a variety of film, TV, recurring roles, and TV movies in there. So she's done a little bit of everything, including some commercials as well. So we'll talk a little bit about her background, where she started, kind of talk a little bit about where she's at today and how different roles led her there. But before we do that, we always start with some trivia to see if James can stump us Fast and Furious style. Yeah, so I'm going to read off three facts here. Two of them are going to be true about Nev Campbell. One of them is not going to be true about Nev Campbell, but is going to be true about one of the many cast members of the Fast and Furious franchise. Everyone here is going to guess which one that is. Fact number one. Her name means bright, radiant snow in Gaelic. Fact number two. Once on a safari with her two children when she was attacked by a lion, bitten on the leg, before other lions attacked that lion, freeing her, allowing her to get to safety. Fact number three. Once auditioned for Baywatch, and the casting director turned down because she was too pale. Wow. I think I know this one. (laughs) The lie is number three. And that is about my favorite guest to make, Ludacris. Not really because I think it's him, but because I was traveling in Thibodeau, Louisiana this past weekend for work, and I saw a giant billboard that said, Luda, coming to a music festival, Thibodeau, Louisiana. And I'm like, I guess I'm coming back to Thibodeau. So Luda auditioned for Baywatch? And, yes, and was too pale. Was pale. And was too pale. Okay, yep. okay. That's a good guess. Really good guess. Yeah. Pretty close. <laughs> I won't say you nailed it, but you almost nailed it. <laughs> I feel like I feel like Nev is sounds like a Gaelic name, so I'm gonna go with that being true. I think three is the lie too. I just don't know. Rigby, go with your normal guess. You're on fire right now. Remember that. You gotta get this right. I am, you're right, you're right. Oh yeah, you gotta get three in a row. Helen Mirren's your go-to guest. Yeah, I don't think she would have tried out for Baywatch. Too pale. <laughs> uh, all right, let's do Lucas Black. For Baywatch? Yeah. <laughs> we got to have the Southern uh, voice on the on Baywatch. Okay. He's pretty pasty, so let's go Lucas Black. That's a pretty good guess. I think number two is the lie. A- am I supposed to say who I think it's about? Because I have no freaking idea. No, you don't have to. You don't have you to. Don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to, but you nope. can give it a shot. I'm pretty sure number three is true, actually. And number one sounds true to me. So I'm going with number two is the lie. I'm going to go with number one is the lie as well. and uh, Same with Case. And that's because... Momoa for Jason Momoa is a notorious Gaelic name. And so it has to be Jason Momoa for yeah. for yeah. fact number one. Real, real Western Ireland. God. <laughs> yeah. I'm learning a lot this episode. Yeah, super West, like Hawaii West. Yeah. <laughs> fact number one, name means bright, radiant snow in Gaelic is true. Her father is Scottish and is from actually from Glasgow, and her mother, whose name whose last name is Nev. Uh, is from Amsterdam, so it's her mother's maiden name. She was born and raised in Canada, though. Fact number three, once auditioned for Baywatch, uh, and the casting director turned her down because she was too pale, is true. She actually auditioned multiple times and wouldn't explicitly get denied, but they kept calling her back. And while that was going on, she was auditioning for another role and landed it, and it was life-changing role in Party of Five. Cool. And 
Fact number two uh, was once on a safari with her two children when she was attacked by a lion and bitten on the leg before other lions attacked that lion, freeing her to get to safety. While that explicitly isn't true, she was attacked once filming. Uh, she was supposed to film a scene being chased by a bear in the movie Tale of the Wild when she was 17. And in her words, she said, so I'm really dumb. And they say, dip your hand in honey and just run. And then when you get to that tree over there, turn around and stick your hand out and just feed the bear. And if that sounds like a dumb plan, it's because it is. And so she did that. (laughs) And the bear attacked her, bit her on the leg and started dragging her throughout the forest. Everyone's freaking out. The wrangler eventually is able to get the bear off of her. And she's like 17 at the time. And she said, because she was so concerned with being a people pleaser and being perceived as a good actor that she agreed to film multiple takes of that. And while anyone else would hear that and be like, hey, that bear almost killed me. I think we're done here. She was like, no, 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 that's okay. I'll be fine. Let's just do a couple more takes. Uh, While she was not attacked by a lion, as previously described, if that story sounds entertaining to you, it's because it's the plot of the new movie starring Idris Elba, (laughs) famously known for his role as Brixton Lore in Fast and the Furious spinoff Hobbs and Shaw. Beast. Uh, Recently, widowed Dr. Nate Daniels and his two teenage daughters travel to South Africa uh, for what begins as a journey of healing soon turns into a fearsome fight for survival when a lion and a survivor of bloodthirsty poachers begin stalking them. In theaters now and available to stream on NBC's Peacock. That's Beast. Fight for family. (laughs) Sounds awful. He punches the shit out of this lion. It's a stupid movie. It's so stupid. All right, Case. Let's fire up some box office history with Nev. What do you got? She doesn't necessarily have an overly complicated or a great box office footprint, despite being the leading role in in a massive franchise. Obviously, she's hitting home runs with the screen films, but overall, she's about a 50-50 on the list of uh, movies making money and losing money. I will say that there's a crazy piece of data for her movies is that Despite having very, very poor opening weekends, her movies end up making a lot of money after opening weekend. And it is a definite trend. For the 15 movies that I have full box office information on, so the weeks after opening weekend, they're averaging a world gross of $82 million more per movie. Wow. That's crazy. Her lowest movie from opening to final world gross is 54, only earning an additional $4 million. The high number for her is that opening weekend for the movie Skyscraper was $25 million, and that movie ended up world grossing $280 million. A lot of the movies, as we'll hear here in a second, she doesn't do great in fan or great in critic rankings, so it's really impressive to me that her movies, and most of them she is the leading role, most of her movies continue, they do really well after the opening weekend. Now, on to the staple movies of her box office Scream franchise. In total, the Scream movies have world grossed $602 million, with the highest one being Scream 1, world grossing $159 million, and the lowest being Scream 4, which grossed $57 million. And those are all really good numbers considering the total. Of all five screen movie budgets is 142 million. So very good franchise for the box office, very good franchise for her. Looking at her comparative numbers, she ranks 64th in average budget, 
67th in total box office, 6th in star meter. Can anybody explain to me why her star meter is so high right now? There's controversy about Scream not wanting, the next one not wanting to pay her. Okay, so, so maybe that's what's going on. What she thinks she's worth. I, I kind of figured maybe everybody's just watching the Scream movies during this time of year. Yeah, it's spooky season. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> she's 59th in critic ranking with a low 49.6%. 69th in fan ranking at 53%, and then 25th and 30th in box office metrics that we use. So when you put all of her numbers into a ghost face mask and spit them out, she comes ranked 43rd. What are you guys' thoughts on that? 43 to 73? Yeah. Hmm. I'm not shocked her, especially critic is low because of her involvement with horror and horror notoriously doesn't always get the best shake from yeah critics mm-hmm. so much so that like you can't really even go off of you know reviews scores because it's similar to comedy where it's, it's like oh like, that got such shitty reviews and everyone's like that's literally my favorite horror movie of all time and you're like oh okay early days of nev campbell uh, before we get into first first major role which is going to be party of five she's born in 73 in ontario so and when was the, who was the last canadian actor that we talked about Jim Carrey, maybe? Yeah, Carrey on episode 50. Her parents divorced when she was two, so I guess all she's ever known was her parents being split up um, ever since she was a little girl. The thing I learned digging into Nev's stuff and a dancer she grew up as, she went to the Aaronvale School of Dance, studied ballet, but she got her start in performing arts and specifically doing ballet, which is cool because we'll talk about a movie that came years later, where she played a ballerina. Um, that is interesting to kind of cross-compare. She eventually made it to the National Ballet School of Canada, where at the time she was doing performances in, in things like Nutcracker, Sleeping Beauty. And unfortunately, at that time, she actually had a bunch of dance injuries that came from that. It's pretty brutal uh, performing art uh, on the body, especially on the legs. At the age of 15, she shifted and went to the world of acting. Her first real big performance was in Phantom of the Opera. So if, like, if we had some way, shape, or form to get video of her doing one of the 800 shows of Phantom of the Opera that she did over two years, that would have been really impressive. But finding that is probably on some guy named Larry's home video uh, VHS tape somewhere. And, and uh, I don't think we have those kind of skills to and research skills. So. Don't want them. (laughs) To your point about the dancing career, you know, I didn't know that. And that makes a lot of sense. And we'll we'll talk about it. But one of the things that I was really impressed with rewatching all the screen movies is her grace and athleticism when escaping situations. And certainly a dancing career would help that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and think about that, too. I mean, she's she's traveling with like the Canadian version of Phantom of the Opera and did 400 shows a year Ooh. between 15 and 17. Went to a performing arts high school in Guelph, Canada. Yep. Before she gets into acting, she did a couple commercials, including one with Brian Adams, I think when she was 17 or 18 years old. That's kind of like the one big like claim to fame for her early on. It was a Coke commercial with Brian Adams. He's the man. Selling that Canadian Coke. <laughs> oh, they use They use real sugar up there, right? Canadian Coke's way better than U.S. Coke, eh? Mm-hmm. I love the South Park joke where they apologize for Brian Adams. 
<laughs> and they're like, no, you guys still owe us because of Brian Adams. It's like Canada has apologized multiple times for Brian Adams. <laughs> <laughs> but her first like off stage acting was in on TV. She did an episode of My Secret Identity in 1991. So that would have been when she was 18 years old. When she was 19, she did a very brief appearance on The Kids in the Hall. She played a somebody who was buying pizza. It's, so it's a show that was produced and supported by Lauren Michaels, which I thought was an inter- interesting connection given her, her appearance on SNL years later. But uh, she has this very high voice. She's like a lot of peaks and valleys when she's talking. I mean, she's 19, 18 years old. So it's interesting to see her in there. But it's just a one scene. It's on YouTube. People can check it out. But she looks like Bonnie from The Craft in that in that episode. I watched it on YouTube as well. Yep, she does. That's a great comparison. Oh, yeah. So it's a, it's a cool little deep cut to check out if you want to see some of the early Nev stuff. Uh, but it kind of the, the first show that gave her some more mainstream appeal, at, at least on the Canadian side. She was in the show Catwalk, played Daisy from 92 to 93, a Canadian drama. She was in 24 episodes of that. So quite a bit moving beyond the one episode uh, appearance at that point in her career. And then she did her first horror film, what she calls her first horror film, which was a film called The Dark. Uh, came out in 1993. She filmed it when she was 17. She played a cop, and she laughs now that it was this silly horror film where she's playing a cop at 17 years old, and how is that believable? I have no clue. And it was some like worm that came out of the ground or something like that. She's about to be playing a freshman in college at the age of 27. So it, the math does work out for this as well. Yep. And then if, you know, to kind of shift it to the American scene, she was in an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark in 1984. Which kids like me growing up in the 90s, Are You Afraid of the Dark? It's like the shit growing up watching Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. Love that show. Yeah. I mean, for like early horror fans, it was fun. Award winning appearance, it looks like. Yeah, yeah, she she won the award for best panic attack at the Nickelodeon Awards that year. She's losing her mind in a room that continually is closing in on her. It's kind of fun to watch. Prestigious group. <laughs> I was just gonna say she's a she's a really good crier. She brings that out. She brings out that uh, that ability really well in her acting. Undervalued. But her big break, you know, around the time that she was doing the American casting call, she moved. To LA had a few casting calls and one of them was for this show party of five that she got hired for and kind of transformed her career she was on the show for six years 142 episodes and normally we don't do tv shows for featured roles but given nev's career you can't really talk about her early rise without really giving party of five its due respect so Rigby, true first major role this time around. You know, this is network television where they where they air, you know, t- anywhere from 25 to 30 episodes a season. So that's a lot of acting. Kyle, I actually read that Esquire article that you um, sent over right before the show about uh, the influence and the impact that this show had on on American culture. And one of the one of the lines that stuck out to me is that or ne- Nev Campbell wouldn't have been cast in Scream, which is the the role that you know she's probably most known for, without her appearance in Party of Five. So, um, and I think you see some similarities and kind of switches back and forth between innocent, confused, a girl who's made a lot of forced to make a lot of independent choices. So the the plot of Party of Five, a clan of five siblings uh, loses their parents in a car accident, and the pilot takes place six months after that accident and it's them trying to figure out how to get on with their lives and how they're going to live independently and 
the big brother Scott Wolf, uh, who plays Bailey, is in charge of in charge of making sure the the family sort of moves on with their life after their parents are killed. And and Nev Campbell plays Julia Salinger, who I think was like fifteen, supposed to be fifteen in the show. Which at this point she would have been nineteen or twenty. Is that right, Kyle? Yeah. So started ninety four. She's born in seventy three. So twenty twenty one. Yeah, twenty twenty one. Not a huge jump in teen show ages, to be honest. That's not bad. I get that. And this again, this is this is also the time when like Beverly Hills 90210 was on. So this is like a big this genre is heating up yeah. on TV, I would say. Uh I think where this show is different and where it kind of stood out is that it really explored a lot of dark it's not like Beverly Hills 90210, which I think is kind of sappy. This this explores some pretty dark um ideas. Like uh, depression, mental illness, um, crime, uh, cancer, um, teenage pregnancy, like stuff that stuff that, you know, was kind of still only really being talked about in maybe like health class or something like that. Like this, this kind of put it at the forefront. So I can admire it about that. And that's, again, that's not from me having watched a lot of these episodes. That's just from some of the some of the rewrites I've, I've read about um, what this show, how this show impacted culture. So the one thing about this show, aside from Nev Campbell's performance that I will note, it has a lot of up and coming stars in it. Jennifer Love Hewitt has a recurring role. Yeah. Jeremy London. Yep. Matthew Fox, who I think I mentioned, Lacey Chabert plays uh, one of the younger siblings. So just v- a lot of people who would become well-known figures in Hollywood, you know, five, 10 years down the road, got their start with this with this show and again five seasons 140 episodes a main character i would say probably the if not for scott wolf she is the main character so um yeah she carried it and good for her because this launched her ability to it opened up you know it opened up um her ability to get into scream and the rest is history as they say yeah, those kids were going through it on the show. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. Yeah, it's dark. It's dark. It's like like to show to show their reaction like when the parents would have died would have been very, very traumatic. So they they started after, which I liked. I thought that was really effective. I was impressed with the depth of character exploration just in the pilot. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. I feel like a lot of pilots super surface value, but they like each character is pretty flushed out by the time episode one done yeah it's like oh and it's you know it's not really my vibe it's not like you know with Kristen shaw when i started watching last man on earth i like crushed all four seasons of it determined you know it's not that kind of like 90s sitcoms not my thing but everything i read talked about how people are like obsessed with joe and especially obsessed with her character of like going through yeah really rough like relationships i read that I think in like season four, she's dealing with an abusive domestic violence situation with her boyfriend. And like, if you're riding through four seasons and going through that with her, you're going to really feel for the character. I always shit on network TV because it sucks. But like, it's it's amazing that you shit on it because it sucks. Yeah, it's amazing <laughs> that these shows can churn out 30 episodes a season. Like that is so much. There's so much. That's a lot of content that like. That's 30 hours of TV. Like, that's crazy. And storylines and lines, and yeah, it's, it's amazing. So what I'm hearing from you guys, contrary to the title of the show, it is not a comedy. Um, there's some... Party of Five sounds like a lot more fun than what you guys are describing. Oh, no. 
It's very little partying. <laughs> it's called Trauma Five. Trauma for five. Five orphans. I remember watching the show in real time because because I was the baby of the family and I had sisters who were six years older than me and this was like the exact demographic they were aiming for. Yeah. So I remember hearing all about Scott Wolf and Matthew Fox and how attractive they were. And um, this was my introduction to me being straight. So that's when I realized it because Jennifer Love Hewitt is striking. Welcome to puberty, right? To constantly remind you, you know Matthew Fox. <laughs> uh, I love this show. Hey, here we go. It's been a long time, but um, I saw a bunch and I loved it and loved Nev Campbell in this. So I think she had like an abortion when she was like 18 on the show. It was pretty controversial. You know, for context, as you guys are talking about this show, that was on Fox. And this was the early, early, early years of Fox syndicated shows or, or dramas like this and so they were they came on as an edgy network and that was their that was their whole goal this show fits exactly what they were trying to accomplish so she rode her teen choice nom in party of five to do something that i don't know if we've ever seen a munson actor do and that is do mad tv in 95 and also snl in 97 two years later and that's because of scream we'll talk about here in a moment but yeah i don't know if we've covered anybody who's done both it's always usually just snl there hasn't been a lot of both sides of it first marriage for her 95 she married jeff colt that they got divorced in 98 so it lasted about three years he was a bartender at one of the places where her uh phantom of the opera performed at and that's that's where they met and nice so, there's hope i guess there's hope for regular guys like me to meet fantastic gals like nev <laughs> until your fantastic gal gets big and you end up being a little too small time for I The next project here I'll note is uh, another horror film that she did in 96 called The Canterville Ghost. She played a character named Ginny. I, I actually didn't mind it. Patrick Stewart mm-hmm. plays a character named Sir Simon. A ghost, but not in the spooky sense that James would normally talk about. A ghost that, like, she actually hugs and befriends and becomes besties with by the end of the movie. And I actually didn't mind it at all. More like a Casper vibe? Yeah, but, like, actually human. Like, you could touch this ghost versus the three moments with Devin Sawa at the end of Casper. She can see the ghost. She can see him. He's going through it. She's trying to help him. And she's spending the whole, whole movie trying to convince her dad that ghosts are real. But 96... The other big 96 film we'll get into is her role as Bonnie in The Craft, which Stephanie mentioned earlier, you know, movie about witches. So, yeah, scary-ish, I guess you'd say. Uh, But I read that this is the role that got her scream because Wes Craven thought that she did such a good job playing like an innocent character, but could go kind of could be kind of a badass that she would be the best fit for scream. Anybody have thoughts on The Craft? That's a big one in her career. Oh, it's a Huge movie. I love The Craft. It's a real girl power movie, so I'm, I'm a big fan. We saw um, Vicky Valancourt being the lead in this one. It's a fun movie. This is a movie that I think most people watch and enjoy. And then there are some people that I know that just are fascinated with this movie and watch it all the time. You see Skeet Ulrich in this one as well, so another... Nice. Yeah. And a scream alum. And a, and a young Christine Taylor. She acts with Breck and Meyer quite a bit in her career, too. They cross paths a lot. So this is, I think, one of many with Brecken. 
And then the Tunny Honeys, you know, the Tunny Gang in this one. I was waiting for you to say it. I was, you know, James, I figured was going to be there to catch me when I fell with the Tunny Honeys. Yep. But let's get into the big one here. So it's 1996. She joins the cast of the highest grossing horror movie in 20 years, Scream. Yeah, I think it's easy because like right now, horror is so hot and it's so mainstream and everybody's into it. Um, It makes a shit ton of money. But um, I think remembering back to the time, horror was not, it wasn't like people were not into it. It was really um, stuck in a rut. Um, It wasn't making a lot of money. It wasn't very exciting. Yep. And Scream is really what came along and changed all that and made horror kind of cool again. It was a unique take, right? All these other horror movies had, you know, the one killer and you had to stop Michael Meyer. You had to stop, you know, Jason and and you had to stop Freddy Krueger, right? So it was such a unique and and creative twist to that genre. I I agree 100%, Stephanie. This genre was very, very stale when this movie came out. And ironically, it, the movie's famous because it pays, you know, homage, homage to yep. all the all the old horror movies. But yeah, it works so well. Yep. Yeah. The one thing I noticed rewatching most of these is since the start, the Scream franchise has been super meta, and it's only gotten more meta over the years. But yeah, talking through the rules of horror films, and then him, you know, getting stabbed like all the way through. I'll be right back. Yeah, he's like, and never say you're right back. <laughs> I was just going to say, this is a movie that I wish I would have um, seen like when I wasn't like seven years old because I didn't get, <laughs> not because it was violent, but I, I didn't get like so many of those gags that yeah. as a movie lover now, like I get and I appreciate so much more. Yeah, know? and I mean, it produced the scary movies for us, you know? That's right. Uh, where would I be without... <laughs> what would you be without Officer Doofy? <laughs> Man. What makes these movies so good is they're they're dressed up as teen slasher flicks, but really they're super smart satire. Yep. And it's funny and it's entertaining and it's critiquing the genre. And you go into it thinking you're gonna see a bunch of high schoolers just getting chopped up. The references and, and the homage to all those older movies brought that whole generation of horror film fans to this one and then tied them with the teen horror fans that this was really appealing to on the surface level. It was brilliantly made. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think this has my favorite opening scene of any scary movie. Mm. The Drew Barrymore. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Jordan Peele included this film film and his list of films that influenced get out. So it's still having Mm. all these years later, like, massive impact i could see that i what i always appreciated about the screen movies other than nev campbell and her just final girl badassery is how failable the uh the killers are like the fact that they fall down and trip over shit all the time and it actually makes you believe that they can might be able to get away because these killers are not professional superheroes yeah who can withstand knife blows and gunshots and all this crazy stuff. They're just normal people that know how to use a knife for the most part, but then they fall down and get knocked in the head and they're clumsy as hell. It it was always so interesting to watch. That's a great point. I agree, Kyle. I like when they show the view of like, you see the killer, like the person's hiding and they can see the killer and the killer's like looking under the couch, looking in the closet and they can't find him. 
<laughs> just like running around the kitchen like oh they don't know where they are and then eventually it's like a jump scare where like they pull back a shade it's like oh found you there you are um you're behind the couch <laughs> <laughs> well and you're so used to like michael and jason who can walk slow as hell but still beat you to wherever you're at whereas like the scream people they're sprinting everywhere there's no like walking and creeping down a hallway like scream is chasing you up the stairs into the room they're gonna disappear on you they're really good at hiding but they're not trying to like waste time. They're tracking your ass down and shoving a knife in your back. So I appreciate that. Kind of a conversation on the sequel in between. So Scream's huge. And because of that, she ends up hosting SNL, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, the Party Five took her to a level. Mm-hmm. Scream takes her to a whole new level of reviving the horror genre and giving this huge platform. And so they greenlight Scream 2. But in between that, she gets on the SNL stage. Really couldn't find any of her videos on YouTube, though. It was kind of hard to find. SNL stuff. You can find Mad TV skits from her appearance there, but SNL was maybe you have to go to like the NBC app and dig in it from there. But probably. But largest critic app is going to be Scream Two, uh, 1997. And Stephanie, as our uh, as our guest, tell us a little bit about Scream Two and Nev. Of course. So Nev Campbell has had an impressive career, but she will forever be associated for her role as Sydney Prescott in Scream. It's her definitive role, especially since she's now appears the character in four different decades. As we just discussed, Scream is consistently heralded as one of the best and most influential horror films of all time. Released one year later, Scream 2 doesn't really get the recognition it deserves, because I think it's arguably one of the strongest sequels in horror history, and I think it even surpasses the original in many ways. Two years have passed since the events of the first film. The movie Stab is being released, which is based on the events of the Woodsboro Massacre and a book written by Gail Weathers. It's virtually, as we talked about, it's virtually impossible to top the shocking and unforgettable opening scene from the original. However, the sequel holds its own with another highly memorable opening set in a movie theater. Two Windsor College seniors, Maureen Evans, played by Jada Pinkett-Smith, and Phil Stevens, played by Omar Epps, debate the relevance of horror films in the Casey Becker murder scene, portrayed on the screen with Heather Graham playing Becker. Phil steps away to use the bathroom, and he's murdered by the ghost-faced killer. Ghostface puts on Phil's jacket and sits next to Maureen during the movie. He stabs Maureen in the crowded theater, and the audience mistakes it for a publicity stunt, even as she dies horrifically in front of the movie screen. And so nobody does anything. The next day, the media descends on Windsor College, where first film survivors Sidney Prescott and Randy Meeks both attend. Sidney has attempted to move on with her life, moving in with a roommate and best friend Hallie McDaniel. She also has a new dreamy boyfriend, Derek Feldman, played by Jerry O'Connell. Sydney tries to avoid the media spotlight, but fellow survivor Gail Weathers can't let the scoop of her career slip away. She tries to stage a confrontation between Sydney and Cotton Weary, the man who was wrongly convicted for the death of Sydney's mother, Maureen Prescott. Deputy Dewey Riley also shows up at the college to protect Sydney and Randy. Later that night, Cindy and Hallie attend a party at a sorority house. At a nearby sorority house, a young girl named Cece Cooper, played by another icon, Sarah Michelle Geller, mm-hmm. Ghostface. As the police arrive, the party that Cindy's attend- attending begins to empty out, and Ghostface shows up. He attacks Cindy, but Derek intervenes. Ultimately, without ruining too much for anybody who hasn't seen it, we do lose one series favorite in a pretty gruesome way. We get another surprising ghost face reveal featuring a legendary actor. 
And double surprise, it's another two-for-one killer duo. There's a great meta motive about the damaging effect of violence in the movies, with a side helping of good old-fashioned revenge. We also get an unlikely hero, some seriously kick-ass final girl action from Campbell, and an unexpected team-up at the end. Now, every horror sequel struggles to shine as bright as its predecessor, but Scream 2 followed a film that literally redefined the genre. Mm -hmm. So considering the prestige of its predecessor, Scream 2 knocks it out of the park. This stellar sequel has a lot more fun with the world of horror movie-savvy teenagers caught in a horror movie themselves. It cranks up the smart-ass humor set against genuinely scary set pieces, which are also ratcheted up quite a few notches. At the box office, the movies were pretty much neck and neck. And the sequel was actually preferred by critics, with the original scoring 78% on Rotten Tomatoes and Scream 2 getting 81%. As brilliant as the original is, Scream 2 is arguably smarter, funnier, and scarier. Save for the film's beginning and end, which can't really compete with the original, but not, not much of anything could. As for Nev Campbell, she plays Sydney with just enough subtlety and raw emotion to elevate her above most other horror survivors. Having lost her mom in a savage murder before the start of the franchise, she's a survivor even before Ghostface shows up. Over the course of the franchise, her character evolved considerably, giving the series a depth it would not have had without her. She was able to hit both the comedic notes and the dramatic ones, making for a compelling core amidst the escalating chaos. It was her commanding performance that often elevated the material, making it feel fresh even as the series racked up sequels. Mm -hmm. She brought a gritty and resourceful edge to each film, creating one of the most capable and compelling final girls in horror history. Bravo. What a review. I, I really like Scream 2. Uh, in the original Scream, they asked uh, Cindy Prescott, like, oh, they make a movie about this. Who do you think you'll play? She's like, oh, you know, I'd always like want a young Meg Ryan, but, you know, with my luck, they'd probably cast Tori Spelling. And Tori Spelling actually is her in Scream, <laughs> in Staff, which I thought was, like, really clever. <laughs> I'm with you, Stephanie. I thought the beginning of this movie set the tone right away that it was going to smartly rival the original Scream. I loved Jamie Kennedy's scene on the phone when he's like, all right, smart guy. So tell me what you think's going on. And the killer's like, well, one, I know you'll never be a leading man. And he just goes, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that also made, I think made this series work was we were used to Courtney Cox being a very likable, fun, friendly character from friends, obviously. And for her to be in this role, she's great at it. And I think she's a great balance to the Sydney Prescott character. And it's she's so hateable. Oh, she's hateable. I agree. I love I love Courtney Cox in this. And she she brought a lot to this movie. A lot. <laughs> My favorite part of this movie is when Regina Hall says, Damn, this is some scurry shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm at the movies. <laughs> I think you're mistaken. I don't remember that. <laughs> so as we as we go along and talk about them, we can track kind of where we think they all rank. I challenged Stephanie off uh, via message this week to kind of figure out what her, what you think your five would be. Yeah. Spoiler alert for me, Scream 3 is the worst of the bunch by a significant margin, but that's just me. Me too. We'll continue going down the road here. So the one movie before lowest critics score will hit is Wild Things. Played Susie, 1998, Steamy movie known for its steamy scenes with Nev and Denise Richards and Matt Dillon. 
but mostly Nev and Denise Richard. This is just a fun movie. Sad to report, I still have not watched this movie, so I don't think I'll ever watch it. <laughs> I don't think the time will ever come. Oh, you need to watch this movie. As I mentioned previously, I was the youngest and only boy in the family, and so there was no excuse for me to watch this that wouldn't gross out everyone in the house. And now, as a father and husband, there's, again, no excuse for me to watch this with the few t- moments I have to myself. <laughs> uh, I just don't see it happening anytime soon. It's time for a sexual awakening, so go throw it on. <laughs> I don't want to step on that. That needed to be said. <laughs> Yeah. No, I say besides, you know, it gets a lot of buzz for being super steamy and, you know, the the makeout scene between two hot girls, but it's actually like a really clever yep. crime thriller with like a lot of twists and it's pretty it's pretty engaging and and smart and I think that honestly the steamy stuff is like 2 seconds of the film and isn't really all that important. Yeah. If you need an excuse to watch it, you can do so without being creepy. That sold me to be honest. Just find a uh the TNT version of this. That's fair. Just watch that. That'll take out all the all the things that you'll feel bad about watching. And yeah. uh, when this came out, you know, I was still involved with the theater, and and uh, it had a really negative vibe to it, right? That people were like, I mean, that's film that's like really sexualizing high school students. The twist and the writing of this are great, and this may be uh, one of those films where kind of over-sexualizing some of its characters really hurt the film because it's a great, it's a very compelling story with great twists in it. Talking about her, I think she steals the show in this. She's so good. As an actress, she steals the show, and her character steals the show because there's a distinct time in this movie where you're like, holy shit, she's in control of this. And everybody else is playing by her rules, and it's a it's a really fun watch. Yeah, I read a quote in Glamour where they said that... Uh... This was the most well-rounded, fascinating, and exciting characters to ever grace the screen. Talking about Nev Campbell's character. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's incredible praise. Well, let's get into lowest critic score, which is 1998's 54. And that was my review this time. Uh, lowest critic score, it's rated very low by both critics and audiences. So 32-15 audiences and critic. I've always heard about 54. I know Ryan Phillippe's in it. But I didn't know much else outside of that. So folks that are listening and don't know anything about 54 or Studio 54, which it is based on. um, It's a story about the 1970s club scene through a young, handsome bartender played by Ryan Phillippe, which mid 90s or late 90s. I mean, Ryan Phillippe is like the it guy. It makes sense. He's good looking. uh, And for this kind of role where he's playing a, a, a handsome bartender, it's a good fit. I don't know if I've ever told you guys this, but I did not get considered for this role. It's a shame. (laughs) <laughs> that's really unfortunate did you have hair then is that why they they did they said we only want bald guys hit 98 yeah still i still had some hair you had some patches in there i think you cast for this role it sounds like the director mark christopher was studying uh the club scene for five years so he was just trailing you everywhere that you went that's what i'm hearing so, <laughs> that's what i hear studying the club scene for five years is a creative way to say doing coke <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say, he's just <laughs> getting ripped up every night for five yeah. years, waiting for divine inspiration on his screenplay. It's got a pretty good supporting cast in this movie with folks like Salma Hayek, Brecken Meyer, again, Mike Myers. This was his first dramatic role mm-hmm. here in the 90s. Mar- a very young Mark Ruffalo, who plays one of his buddies in a couple scenes, and uh, and obviously Nev Campbell, to talk about. Um, Nev plays Julie Black, who is a soap opera actress who's allegedly pretty big at the time. 
And she ends up being kind of the center of the movie's love story. Her des- her character desperately wants to become big time, make the movies, right? So she goes to the club to meet producers and meet directors. And then when you realize this movie is produced by Merrimax and Harvey Weinstein apparently changed a ton of this movie because of a, a couple test screenings, mm. then you start to see this in a completely different light because you realize a lot of the writing reflects the abhorrent and awful behavior of Harvey Weinstein in particular, talking about a woman going to club to meet big producers so they can make or break her career. Kind of sketchy, kind of gross when you think about it. I might go out of my way to say Nev Campbell might be miscast here in this role. Like it's built in a way for her to be like really sexy and seductive, but at the same time, it flips her to being mysterious in ways. I just don't know if this was the best fit for her skill set in this. Uh, I just don't know if the character's written well for what she can bring to the table. You know, you say that, but she's cast in a lot of roles where she's placed in a kind of a sexy or seductive role. And I don't particularly find her to be that. But she she gets cast in that a lot in her career. Yeah. And she's coming off of Wild Things, right? Yeah. Couldn't disagree with you more, Case. I think she's damn sexy. I mean, I think she's a gorgeous human, but she's she's sexy in this. She's not a, a seductress. Fair enough. I will say this. The, the way this movie tries to set it up is you kind of have to invest in her, the mystery of her at the start. And then it unravels that she's really just like this vulnerable performer who hates doing soap operas, who wants to do more. And okay. when you read about what Harvey Weinstein took out of the movie, and that was like, all the bisexuality that was there apparently a love triangle between Salma Hayek, Brecken Meyer and Ryan Phillippe in the original script to where there's a makeout scene with Ryan Phillippe and Brecken Meyer. And apparently test audiences hated it and thought it wasn't believable. So they ended up stripping of it, all of its sexuality and most of its like illicit drug use, even though they talk about drugs constantly. It's just kind of gross when you see Mike Meyer's character in this movie do exactly what, uh, Harvey Weinstein would do to young actresses when he has Breckenmeyer come in and he basically tells him he wants to suck his cock. And yeah. then he almost goes gay for Harvey Weinstein. I'm like, I hate this movie because Harvey's hands were all over it. And it's literally like you're watching what he would do in real time. So I imagine that's why the ratings are so low on this movie. That's interesting, Kyle. I never. So Steve Rebell, who's who. Mike Myers plays in this. He was like a creep. He went to jail for like tax evasion. and But I had never actually thought of it from a Weinstein perspective. So that's super interesting. I haven't either. You're right. Weinstein adds a whole new element to it for sure. Well, him producing it would have been fine. But the fact that he changed so much of the story and had them go back and do reshoots for a couple of weeks. Yeah. It's like he signed off on everything that was in it. So I just you just never I just never really cared about any of the characters in the movie. Yeah. And I think that's how the story's told and it doesn't go all in on how it could. And I think you just read about what it could have been and you're just like, oh, well, that sucked. It tried to be like Saturday Night Fever in a way, like where the guy, you know, tries to make it big across the across the river, like in, in Manhattan, as opposed to Jersey or wherever he lives. But yeah, I'm with you, Kyle. It just doesn't really work. Um, you don't really care about the characters. I actually like Nev Campbell in this. I thought she did a good job of playing that sort of Ryan Phillippe's white whale in a way, like the girl that 
he's trying to you know he he'll never get because she's always she's like too beautiful she's too but then you find out yeah that she's vulnerable and just like everybody else so interesting that's my review of 54 you setting this against the backdrop of harvey weinstein i will never like this movie <laughs> like rigby i never put that together and so i'm, I'm glad you, i'm glad you said that it's an interesting point a couple more projects before we get into highest critic and that's her, she takes a spin down the voice acting road and i don't know if she's done much since but she played Kiara in The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride, alongside Matthew Broderick. So we see her try, try something a little bit different, doing some voice acting in a, in a big Disney project there, coming off the first Lion King. Uh, 99, she's in 3 to Tango, plays Amy. I remember liking this movie back in the day. I thought it was kind of a clever little romantic comedy. I think probably terrible reviews. I just don't think it's probably aged very well it's about a guy who's pretending matthew perry's in it he's pretending to be gay and it just i'm sure it has a lot of inappropriate jokes in it that just wouldn't age very well in 2022 critics hate it yeah the fact that this isn't lowest critic score i am terrified to hear about the movie hot air (laughs) (laughs) i think james was terrified too it's riveting you'll love it case (laughs) (laughs) the willennium hits and she does a movie we talked about in the JLC episode. So this is like the one crossover with Stephanie's two appearances Ooh. with JLC. She's she's in Drowning Mona. Drowning Mona. Yeah, which is weirdly entertaining to watch. She plays Casey Affleck's. I don't know if they're married. Maybe they're trying to get married. They're going to get married, yeah. They're going to get married. And she's got a southern accent in this movie. So doing a little, some, some a little bit different. But I can never get over JLC's like mullet that she wears in this movie. To, to play uh, one of the cons- co-conspirators. I assume Jamie Lee Curtis's mullet is the shit, so I'm not even going to ask about that. But how is Campbell's accent? I think it's fine. Yeah. I mean, she's she's great. She can do no wrong. Yeah. She's great yeah. in it. She's great. It's not like fully Southern. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how authentic it is, but she sounds good. Yeah. It's got a little twang to it. I just forget how creepy... Will Ferrell's uh, funeral director character is in this movie. Will Ferrell is great in this. <laughs> he's doing like scant- scantily clad photo shoots in the back room while they're there for a funeral. It's so weird. Was it Ashley Schaefer's funeral home? <laughs> what are you saying? Like Ashley Madison? What are you talking about? What are you no, talking? Ashley no, Schaefer. down. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> Highest critic score is 2000's Panic. And Case drew it this time. Panic is a movie that I've never heard of. And I'm, I'm glad to have drawn the, the highest critic straw in the Nev Campbell episode. But the movie is a 2000 crime drama starring William H. Macy, along with Nev Campbell, Tracy Ullman, John Ritter, Miguel Sandoval, and Donald Sutherland. And for review's sakes, we get exactly what we're expecting out of Donald Sutherland. He's great and everything. But everybody else turned in just incredible roles. And in fact, I read multiple reviews praising this, the ensemble cast for how, how well their roles were portrayed. The movie is written and directed by Henry Brommel. Brommel's name might not jump out at you, but he's won a lot of awards for, for some really well-done writing projects and was heavily involved in the show Homeland on Showtime as a writer and producer. The gist of the movie is this. William H. Macy is playing an unassuming hitman who's passing off as a quote-unquote normal middle-aged guy with a perfect kid, wife, and life. 
During a midlife crisis, he he goes to a psychologist played by John Ritter, who, man, I miss John Ritter. He's a great actor. He's a great comedic actor, and I miss him. So while Macy's waiting to see John Ritter, he meets Neva Campbell's character, who is in the waiting room waiting to see a different psychologist. Campbell plays a 23-year-old young woman with issues of her own, and this must have been a refreshing change for her because uh, normally she's playing characters way outside of her age range, and here she's 27 years old playing a 23-year-old. So that's got to be a nice, refreshing change for her. I found this to be a really well-told and executed story. Like I said, the entire cast was really good. Nev plays a troubled 20-something who, while trying to push away Alex, played by Macy, she ends up seducing him, and the two have an affair, which eventually gets Macy in hot water with his wife and kicked out of the house. His wife is played by Tracy Ullman, and I had to look it up because I'm like, I saw Tracy Ullman on the credits, and it floored me, her performance in this movie. And I feel awful saying this, but of all the characters, uh, I thought Campbell's role was probably the one that I had the hardest time enjoying the most. So she's asked to do a lot in this movie, and, and a lot of her scenes come off really melodramatic. And I don't know if that's the direction they wanted it to go in, but contrasting to the other performers in the movie, it just comes off a little odd. But she is good in it, right? Like, I'm not taking a shot at her acting. I thought she was good at it. The one thing that I love about her career, and I'll talk about this in, in my Munson meter, is that in almost all of the movies that I watch her in, she's who I'm comparing the other performances against. And it's not that in this movie. And, and that was a little bit off for me, and it just may be that I'm a fan of her. If you haven't seen this movie, it's definitely a good movie to watch. It's free on Prime right now. Definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. I think the story is very compelling. It's a very simple concept of Hitman yeah. goes to a therapist, talking to him, and then dad finds out he's at the therapist, and then basically tells him, you have to kill your therapist. And then he just goes through that. Yeah. What do I do? Right. Do, do I leave the life? Do I follow through? Am I making dad proud? And I think it's a simple but effective. Super good. I saw it, too, for the first time um, prepping for this episode. I had never heard of it. And um, it's pretty, pretty phenomenal. I was kind of blown away by it. Yeah, I thought I thought Jodie Foster in this movie was awesome. <laughs> hey, you so much. <laughs> Forrest Whitaker stole the show. I really wish I would have seen it because I love William H. Macy, man. He's so good. And I, I, had, I hadn't heard of it either, Craig. So this will be one of those movies that I watch after the episode. So good on you for that review. I'd recommend it. He's so good at the, like, broken man. I, like, I agree. Watching William H. Macy, I was like, oh, what is this going to be about? When he first said what his job was to John Ritter, I thought, similar to John Ritter, he was fucking with him. Um, and then as it goes on, obviously, you learn he's not fucking with him, and that's definitely his job. But... uh He's able to add so many layers to the characters he plays where you're like, even just like with his eyes, you're like, I kind of understand what he's going through here. Like, you know, he can't share his life with his wife. And so they're distant. I thought it was really well done. Yeah. Explores every question you would have for an ethical dilemma like that. of What's your relationship with your kid like knowing that's and then that moment when dad takes the grandson out shooting and he, he realizes where this is going and he's like fuck i gotta do something about yeah, it because they've done a good job with the story of showing you the trauma and the moments early on and then juxtapositioning it to 
what's going on. I felt like it's crazy that none of us had ever heard of it, and it's so good. Right? And it just flew so under the radar. Yes. We've got a new hidden gem to recommend to people, yeah. and they're like, what's a movie you've watched that no one's really heard of? You're like, oh, Panic. And they're like, Panic Room? And you're like, no, just Panic. <laughs> <laughs> Think about the names that I listed in that. This only had a $1 million budget. Wow. And it world grossed 11. And now the, the critic ranking on that was 91. Fan was 62. I don't know that I would go as high as a 91, but I would easily going to be in the mid 80s. It's in the 80s for me. All right. Well, we got like two decades until our last review. So we're going to grind through a lot here, including some like interesting personal anecdotes from Nev. So first and foremost, Stephanie and I's least favorite Scream movie came out in 2000. That's Scream 3 where they go even harder into the stab world and they're on the, the stab film set, which almost felt like too meta. Yeah. Yeah. It might have went a little too far in Scream 3. Okay. I would agree with you guys 100%. This is my least favorite Scream. However, do you think that they intentionally did that and they thought that the fans were going to respond as positively as they did with the second one? I don't know if I would... Like, I don't know that there's that I think it's a bad movie by any means. No, I mean, it's still no. super fun. I just think it's the worst of the bunch. Okay. So if you have to rank them, I put it at the bottom. For me, I still think it's fun. It's just it's not quite as uh, memorable and smart as the others, I don't think. You had to agree with that. Yep. I just think the yeah, I mean, it, it, it's almost too cute for its own good. I'm with you, Kyle. I mean, one's obviously iconic. Two is a damn fine sequel. And then it's like, where do you go from there? Like, you, I feel like you're kind of inevitably going to crash after that. My favorite line in this is, Tom, I'll need a ride home. I knew you are going to make a scary movie. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so there, there's a few years here. So after like all the Scream stuff, she picks some different types of projects. And also she's a little less busy in the 2000s, which she can afford to be at this point too. So the, the one I'll note in 03... She's in a movie called The Company. She plays Loretta and also co-wrote and co-produced this film. Kind of first to the first time she's really done some of those things. Um, but it is a Robert Altman film, which I didn't realize until I was halfway through. And uh, it's a ballet movie uh, with Malcolm McDowell and James Franco. And going back to her ballet days, this had to be a an interesting project for her to be in. Uh, it's not really my jam. Like it's some really extensive ballet sequences in this movie. Yeah. Really extensive. It's like all ballet, pretty much. It's a performing arts showcase in this. There's not as much story as there is just ballet going on. I read that they filmed 10 uh, full ballets for this film. And Damn. all using like real ballet dancers, a real company. And so none of it's simulated. It's all just like basically a complete ballet show with a tiny bit of plot. It's very beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful from ballet side, but I was not invested in the story whatsoever. This is her fourth or fifth highest rated critic. Yeah, it has. I think it's probably because it's an Allman movie. I figured Rigby would know this because he, he's an Allman guy. Oh, I thought you were going with the ballet angle. Yeah, no. I <laughs> <laughs> Big ballet guy. <laughs> I haven't seen this one, Kyle. That's fascinating. When she talks about her ballet experience, she doesn't really wax poetic on it even though you know it was a passion of hers because rumors that you hear about that kind of world are true and so the movies you see in which yeah these people are you know kind of beaten and abused by their instructors and by their friends and by their competition she said kind of rang true and it gave her uh, a lot of anxiety when she was a teenager which forced her to quit I read that she had a nervous breakdown when she was 14 yep for sure wow. and she like pulled out her hair and stuff and yeah 
it's just crazy mm-hmm. like the, the the depth that they push those girls and then just like mm-hmm. the physical toll of sta- putting your entire body weight on one toe right or a couple toes it's that's that's grueling enough let alone the the mental side of it she did have a funny funny comment though about what you were just mentioning uh i forgot what uh, she like was voted you know like one of the 50 sexiest people in hollywood or something and she said something along the lines like if you could see my feet i would not be on that list and a lot of it has to, <laughs> it has to do because I love that every ballet dancer's feet are just mangled. Well, now we know why she's never been in a Tarantino movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. Oh, doesn't have the feet for that. She's like bunions. I wish it was only bunions I had to worry about. <laughs> 2004, she's in Tur- Churchill, the Hollywood years, which from what I could tell is like the only like real period piece I think she's in that you would term a period piece i mean that it's a full-blown like satire comedy i don't know if you guys have seen it but nope it's pretty ridiculous i saw a still of her next to hitler and so i had questions (laughs) yes (laughs) i'm interested right now already it's on youtube rigby so if you want to check it out you can it's definitely worth a watch but not good well I'll, i'll flip before i go to when will i be loved because there's another movie <laughs> reefer madness the movie musical came out in 2005 i did watch this one because i was like i'm interested in what nev is doing in this marijuana yeah. musical and she's in one scene as like the diner girl and she's doing some singing i don't know if that's actually her voice but it's at least her pretending to sing on on screen it is a hilarious musical about the dangers of marijuana I genuinely think if I had to, even above Panic, if I had to recommend only one movie to everyone from this entire list, I would say Reefer Madness. It is so freaking fun. You lost me at musical. <laughs> well, sorry. Sorry, Casey. You're not cultured <laughs> enough for this. Fact. You know, and it's fine. When Will I Be Loved? 2004. Here's the plot. Vera, played by Nev Campbell, is a femme fatale for the 21st century. A beautiful, capricious young woman living in New York who begins exploring the limits of her sexual and intellectual power. She picks up men on the street and has sex with them in her apartment. She also videotapes a sexual romp with a female lover and has sexually frank discussions with her potential employer. As a daughter of a wealthy, indulgent parent, Vera seems to be improvising her way through the beginning of her life as an adult. And I thought to myself, holy shit, that is a heavy sounding movie, right? This movie was based on a 35-page script, which was heavily improvised, and it was shot in 12 days. I just thought that was a very interesting backstory, and I'd never heard of this movie before, and it seems like a really intense role, and I really wish I would have saw it, because, again, I'm a big fan of her, and it would have been fun to watch this role and see how she does in it. 81 minutes long, so... Tight 80 minutes. I like that. You can also, if you're Nev, step off the screen in the mid-2000s and go make your West End debut in a performance of Resurrection Blues, and multiple performances of Resurrection Blues. So go into the theater side. Go into the stage side. That's cool. Take a little step away. After her early days in Canada, I didn't know that she was doing any stage work, so that's cool. Relative Strangers played Alan, a, a movie in 06 alongside Danny DeVito, Kathy Bates, and Ron Livingston, where... Danny DeVito and Kathy Bates, spoiler, pretend to be Ron Livingston's birth parents. So I'm not going to say it's a good movie, but I, it's entertaining in the same vein. Drowning Mona is entertaining in that it's ridiculous. And hearing Danny DeVito use a Southern accent is worth the price of admission in itself because it is so comical. I love it. And I love Kathy Bates. I'll watch anything Kathy Bates is in. Agreed. She tries another shot at marriage in 07. She marries John Light, 
Craig, do you know John Light's background? I don't. I just figured you might know that. I, I actually am embarrassed to say that they met on the set of um, the movie Intimate Affairs. Really? <laughs> he actually does know the answers. <laughs> What's funny about this is this is one of those movies that we always laugh about how it has two different names. It's got like 25 different writers and producers. Dermot Maroney. I'm feeling very stalkerish about this. It would have been way funner if you said they had met on the set of Phantom of the Opera and do that. <laughs> met all of her future husbands. Tosses aside the cult. <laughs> all these Canadian men from her Phantom of the Opera days. <laughs> Only a certain group of men I trust, and I met them all when I was 18. <laughs> In a Phantom project. Yeah, yeah. she figures if they're fans of Phantom, then, they, then they'll get along, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Johnny Light only made it three years before they divorced, divorced in 2010. You see some some small stuff like her. She appears on The Simpsons in 09, which most of the actors we covered, I feel like, make that custom customary appearance, like a pop culture staple. Uh, appears alongside T- Tim Roth in Seawolf in 2009, plays Maud in that two-part miniseries. She took a big break doing much film and TV work and a little out of control. She moved to London. She moved overseas, and I saw an interview she said she loved it because like nobody recognized on the streets in the uk Hmm. she just like people be like what do you do for a living and that has to be such a refreshing moment for an actor who's been doing this for decades and as big as she is stephanie is is the horror film genre not popular in england it's a great question i thought it was (laughs) shocking i assumed it was i mean that's shocking that she goes unnoticed yeah they make big overseas uh, bank, so I would think there's an audience. She said in an interview that in like the entire time she was there, she maybe got noticed like once, like walking the streets. So if you ever get too big, case move overseas and just roam anonymously, and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah we're no threat of that. I think they care more about royalty than Hollywood. Uh, that's a good point. <laughs> and she also said that she was getting tight, like the roles she was getting offered were either horror films or like bad rom coms, and she was just like. Tired of being typecast, so just needed to take some time away from from the industry. Yeah. I mean, when you're that damn good at what you do, I get it. I understand. But I also understand wanting to ex- extend. Yeah. Try something different. <laughs> but when she does return in 2011, she's back in the Scream chair doing Scream 4, a movie we talked about in the Alison Brie episode. Alison Brie plays her publicist who gets murdered yep. and thrown off the top of a parking deck. <laughs> it's an entertaining death. Yes, it is. It's one of the more fun deaths of any actor we've talked about. In this series, I would say that this is the second most important. First being the first scream, this being the second most important, not the best, the most important. I think it retracts a lot of what fans did not like in Scream 3. Yeah, it's got what, uh, what's her face from Remember the Titans? What is her name? Hayden Penetieri. She's in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a lot of fun. I like Scream 4. Yeah. Hayden's coming back for six. Yeah. Yeah. We're trading Nev for Hayden. Which, <laughs> damn it. Why do we have to do this? <laughs> Unfair. Her, so her first son was born in t- 2012 with JJ Field, and then they adopted their son in 2012. And the, I think their first son's name is, uh, what is it? It's something really cool. Because she said she likes unique names. It's like Caspian or something like Caspian, that. Caspian. That's it. Yeah. That's pretty cool. For those keeping score at home, this is not her third husband. This is she has two ex-husbands and a partner. Yep, partner. Just FYI, a couple episodes of Grey's Anatomy. There, 2012 does an episode of Mad Men in 2014. So you see her being pretty picky, and then you start seeing her do some um, TV work in a role, and especially a role that she's people associate with her quite a bit. 
and that's her role as Leanne in House of Cards. She did 25 episodes of that show between 2016 and 2017. I never saw this show. Oh, dude, it was good until uh, yep. old Rapey McRapeface over there ruined it. <laughs> the first couple seasons of House of Cards were fantastic, and then... I agree. Um, I can't remember what... Sh- she's like a White House counsel or something. She's like an advisor, I want to say, for uh, Frank Underwood in this. I can't remember her role. House of Cards was tough because, like, this was a show that you literally... You'd, like... The episodes would come out and you'd watch the whole thing in, like, a weekend. And, like, so I don't really remember... Yep. ...the ins and outs of the plot or, like, the characters very well. But I do remember her being in it. This show was so successful and was so instrumental in netflix originals being successful yeah the dumb dumb sound is from this show oh no shit mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so like this it was huge this show did two things one it like it was the first you mentioned that james but it also was like the first show where they released all the episodes at once okay where like people like this kind of this show kind of like invented binge watching like it was a it was a big deal when it came out interesting on the Nev side, I read the thing that she loved most about this is that she could be part of an ensemble that she didn't have to carry. Yeah. Like she didn't have to be the star. She didn't have to be the focal point, which she had to Case's point. Mm-hmm. She'd been a lead in almost everything she'd ever done. Agreed. Like a good cast, TV. We talked about it before. Like TV's better for reliable scheduling, especially if you're raising a family. So with her first son, three years old mm-hmm. at this point, like that reliability, I think, was really important. Cool. Because of all that really cool work she'd done with all those lead roles and, you know, as much of a final girl horror icon she was, she was awarded the National Award of Excellence by the Association of Canadian Radio and TV Arts in 2016. So the land up north said, you've been doing pretty cool. Let's give you an award. Eh? Pretty cool, eh? She's an elite actress, and it doesn't shock me that. If anything, I'm kind of bummed out that I just, it was during this episode, researching for this episode, that I found out she was Canadian. I mean, if I was Canada, I would be promoting that a hell of a lot more than they are. They claim all their comedians as fast as they can. I know. That's what I was going to say. They're, they're seem, they seem to be a very funny group of people, uh, but they don't claim the dramatic actors that often, I guess. Well, a little, uh, little action turn in 2018. She joins The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson in Skyscraper. She played Sarah, a movie that Case talked about. Made a lot of money. They did a big like media junket for this. They were doing all shows and everything yeah you could see her do some more like physical acting in this one back to some of her scream roots and being able to be a little bit of an action you still got it oh yeah i distinctly remember going to the movie theater to watch anticipating to just hate it hate it shit on it and just tell everybody how much i hated it yep and between the rock's likability as an action actor and her likability as an actress i'm like that's a pretty good movie. I mean, I'd go watch it again. You guys, anybody want to go watch Skycraper? And they're like, no. And I'm like, it's pretty good. <laughs> I kind of wish it was that because it, it, in my eyes, it kind of fell into the level of like forgettability to that point where it's like, I wish it was so cartoonishly stupid that I could have mocked it and been like, this was awesome. As opposed to being like, oh, you know what? It's, it's actually not as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> it's just okay. You know? I always get this and San Andreas mixed up because I because A I didn't see either one of them. And, <laughs> that helps. And B they they're both they're both big budget uh big rock budget films. Yeah, the rock that start with S. Where he spends a lot of time in the air in the yeah. sky, from what I can yeah. remember from trailers. They're actually the same movie. It's just different titles because of production company issues. So like 
Yeah. Like the Godzilla universe, it's all part yeah, of the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Skyscraper went down because of the San Andreas fault and what was going on there. So 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And 2012, I think, was also in this trilogy. This was the sequel. Got it. Well, at least they improved. Nev Campbell is important in this role because it does slightly pull it out of that kind of corny action movie that The Rock is so good at doing. I agree. Yep. And now that she is a mom, playing a mom, right? Like, that, that's got to be a whole different perspective as well when you've kind of really haven't played that. Like, you think of, like, a lot of the actresses we cover in the, the heyday, of they play, like, the mom. And, like, she didn't really do that much. Now that I think about it. Like, I look through the rest of her stuff. She doesn't really play a mom in many of her roles. If can even find one where she plays a mom. That's actually kind of remarkable. I don't know if she's ever played, like, an actual mom character up to this point. To explain your point further, I feel like she was playing 18 to 20 years old until she was 35, so. <laughs> well, when you look that good, you can get away with that, so. Fair point. All right, last review of the night is largest audience gap, and that's Hot Air. And James is, is so excited to talk about a story where we can empathize with a, a uber right-wing conservative <laughs> talk show. You know, it it's what I look for in most of my movies is uh something similar to this it's so hot air came out in 29 uh 2018 and it's got 17 percent critic score and 67 percent audience score and so when you see a difference like that you would assume okay so there's got to be some redeeming qualities uh and there are uh but it's not what you would think with this movie so uh the main character's name is absolutely absurd his name is lionel macomb no one's ever been named that in history uh he's played by steve coogan he's a new york city radio shock jock provocative kind of right wing uh alex jonesy type uh his rhetoric's kind of led him to you know everyone protests outside his building he's toxic uh, and that's exactly what he wants to do because when he's got those angry listeners that's how he makes all his money so, you know, it, it's kind of a satirical, but, you know, trying to have some sort of message on today's kind of shock jock uh, airwaves. And his publicist and girlfriend is played by uh, Nev Campbell, who stands with him despite the fact that uh, he is openly cheating on her the entire movie. Uh, it's her be- belief that she can reform him because that's what you want to strive for in life. You can fix some ladies. Just keep trying. Um his life is upended when a 16-year-old, uh, by his his 16-year-old biracial niece, played by Taylor Russell, tracks him down. She's the daughter of his junkie sister, and she kind of crashes into his life. And once you know it, folks, just turns right upside down. Um, it, it you see the story coming from a mile away. So like Coogan's actually quite effective, and he's uh, attractive, and he's charming as this kind of bizarro Alex Jones type, and the. Uh, Taylor Russell, charismatic and honestly pretty watchable for like a young teenager in this role. Uh, her character's kind of shallow, so they don't give her a lot to work with. But you know, she does have a presence on screen, uh, and I can even say the same for Nev. Like she's fine in this, and she does bring like a realism to it to the point where, at a certain point, I, I was thirty minutes in, and I realized it, it looks nice. The actors are doing the best they can. And you just don't give a shit. Like, there's no depth to this movie. You see where it's coming from a mile away, and you have no interest in watching it get where it's going. Right? It's it is a 
it's a hallmark movie about politics and that that is not intriguing to people who are into hallmark movies and that's not intriguing to people who are into politics and so like Devi's cookie cutter characters that kind of stumble and trip their way through an absolutely cliched plot it's shockingly not even like remotely timely like it's made in 2018 and it's talking about 2018 politics but really feels like it's from like 2001 um and it i i am firmly on the critics side uh the audience score i when i was looking through the audience reviews it's just people who who have those political beliefs so it's like hey look conservatives can be liberal or it's like hey look liberals can actually be conservative and it's people no one who's actually talking about the movie likes this movie frank karachi who did all of the Sandler movies too? That direct the director. When I looked it up, it's like, yeah, you might know him from The Wedding Singer. I was like, what? Waterboy. <laughs> I was like, wait. Ridiculous six blended <laughs> click. Like, like, get out of here. <laughs> one of the more compelling things I think you overlooked is that this film starred Adam Sandler's nephew Jared Sandler as a popcorn thrower. Oh, you know, that's funny because that that scene takes place in Central Park where they recognize Steve Coogan as they're watching. It's like movie night at the park and everyone recognizes that like, yeah, Tucker Carlson's sitting right in front of him and they all just start like shit talking him. <laughs> and he stands up and he goes, and he's like, how do you sleep at night? And he's like, I want a pillow made out of money <laughs> and the crush dreams of Hillary Clinton. <laughs> and then, then he gets hit with a popcorn right in the head. And I was like, what are we watching, bro? Like, what is this? And that popcorn was thrown by Jared Sandler. So there you go. That's there you go. Yeah. Getting his big break. It sounds like a great movie. I, I may actually watch this one now. Appreciate you, James. All right. Last couple here before we kind of get to think about Munson metering. Castle in the Ground. She played Rebecca, a movie came out in 2019 a movie where she plays a drug addict you know spoiler it dies pretty early in the movie but again trying something a little bit different kind of a spiraling mom i guess she plays a mom in this who's spiraling out of control so a little bit different than some of the other stuff we've seen her play over the years but the big one that came out this past year green the latest iteration where she's just another certified badass i love that line yeah, I love that they reference all the issues from prior movies and in the next movie they like address how that's easily solved like in one, you know, she doesn't know who's on the phone and then in two, she's got caller ID and so like the moment some guy calls it a pranker, she's like, "Oh, I know this is fucking so and so, like leave me the fuck alone." And then by five, it's like, do you have a gun? She's like, of course I have a gun. <laughs> like, like I've been around so many mass murders, you don't think I have a gun? How many, how many ghost faces I've survived? Like, I'm no <laughs> fool. I know they're going to keep coming back. The amount of knife fights I've been in. Stephanie, how was this movie received with the more pure horror film fans? It's pretty popular. I mean, it was, I think, pretty widely loved. Okay. Um, which is kind of kind of crazy, uh, considering, you know, how long since the first film that you can come back and have a film that does that well. It, it's pretty, I mean... When we do our rankings, it's like actually pretty high up for me, and I think for a lot of horror fans. I was gonna say it's very similar to our JL- JLC conversation of of just seeing like the horror icon where you start. And granted, yep. Jamie started you know Halloween was late seventies, but still, you've seen a big gap and then a return to the franchise where it's successful again. And I think that's a testament to the leading the leading woman in both of those projects. Yeah, she's critical to this movie because of what James said, because her ability to act 
genuinely and act so efficiently. They can pull all these these tropes and all these issues from older movies, and they still seem fresh and, and enjoyable. If she's appearing at all to have this as a money grab, this movie's a flop. I say we do our, our screen, since we're on the topic of screen, let's do our, our rankings. So I'll get us started so you all can think about yours. For me, one, four, and five are all set in stone. I think scary movie, the first scream is number one, and then I think four is four, and three is five. I jostle between two and this one because I really, really like this one, but I recognize the impact of two. So if I had, if you were going to hold my hands like down to the fire, I'm probably going one, two, five, four, three would be that. But I flip flop with two and three there. You and I are really close. Um, I am two, one, five, four, three. It's hard for me to put two above one. Um, just because one is one, it's iconic. I do think two is probably like if I'm being objective and putting my critics hat on, just a better movie. Um, but one is obviously brilliant. I like that. I think one just for its cultural impact. Yeah, will always. And I haven't seen I haven't seen the most recent one, um, and I don't really remember four very well. And I remember three being incredibly campy, and I do remember liking two. Two, I thought was very clever and a good sequel. But I think one will always, for me, be number one. One's number one for me as well. I go one, two, five, three, and I don't feel like it's fair to rate four because I haven't seen it. But based on what you guys said, I bet it would slide in in front of three. It'd be the same. All right, mine's slightly different. One, five, two, four, three. So we all agree that one is the top two, but three is dead last. That's the one thing we can all agree on, yes. that Scream 3 yes. is the worst of the bunch. Okay, beautiful. Just so our, We did it. Just so our listeners know, we're here. <laughs> A few more recurring characters we'll mention over her career. She did three episodes of Medium. She did eight episodes of The Philanthropist in 09. Was on Titanic, Blood and Steel. Played Joanna for six episodes of that in 2012. Her partner, J.J. Field, is also involved in Titanic, Blood and Steel. Just, uh, ahead, there we just go. FYI. I love that. The case, I love the connection. Is that where they met? Is that where they met? No, no. They met. I, I don't know where they met. I'm, I'd be lying if I... Was it, was it Phantom of the Opera? Is I don't believe it was family opera. She went with point plan A, plan B, now she's done a plan C. I do get nervous for JJ Field because they've worked together now and oh, you know, who knows? Who knows where it's gonna go? Uh welcome to Sweden alongside Aubrey Plaza. She did four episodes of that in twenty fifteen, and then probably the biggest one I note here is the Lincoln Lawyer. Uh this came out in twenty two, plays Maggie, ten episodes. I think so the whole first season, I think. I've heard good things. I haven't seen it, but I've heard good things. Yeah, so I, I try to watch this. Uh, I love the movie with McConaughey. Um, I don't know. I just couldn't get into this. And nothing against her, nothing against her performance. I just, I don't know. For some reason, it just didn't really work for me as a TV show. And it's based off a book, obviously. So it's for a lot of people, it probably didn't work as a movie either. But What is the premise of this of the show compared to the movie he gets a case that can turn his career sort of upside down but ends up being you know he takes the quick he takes it for the quick spotlight and for the attention but it ends up being sort of a a uh you remember know, him being really unethical in the movie yeah it ends up being negative a negative aspect for him so okay rigby we're at the uh, top performances portion so let's see what you got for us and see if we can guess them. I found a list from Collider from August 2022, and it's seven TV and film roles uh, 
memorable essential Nev Campbell roles beyond Scream because I think we can all yeah. agree that Scream is going to be number one. So I like that. So this doesn't include any of the Scream movies, and this is TV. It's seven roles, not numerically ranked, and it's uh, TV and film. Okay. I think Party of Five has to be on there. Yep, Julius Salen. House of Cards? House of Cards is as well. Nice job. Two for two. Panic? Panic is on here as well. Wild Things, then. It's definitely on there. Yeah. Yep. All right, we're four for four, guys. My movie, 54, is probably on there. It is not. <laughs> oh! Never mind. The Craft? The Craft, yep. Nice job. So we need two more. If you say three to tango, I'm hanging up. No, I wish it was. Okay, (laughs) thank you. Let's go deep cut. Drowning Mona. Nope. Okay. What about the company? Company, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I get that. That makes sense. She's the lead in that. So we're missing one. I think missing one, yep. Tell me it's Reefer Madness. Not Reefer Madness. (laughs) Damn it. Damn it. Stephanie, we can't have what we want. No. I believe we did. Is it a show or a film? Uh, you know what? I don't think we did mention it now, looking at the show notes. Oh, well, then you're going to have to tell us. So then no, my guess would be Castle in the Ground. Nope. <sighs> I took something off from 2020. Is it uh, Clouds? Yes, it's Clouds, Kyle. Okay. I read that she she plays like a religious fervor. Like she's really religious in that show. So it was released on Disney Plus, And it's a musical drama. You lost me at Disney. <laughs> yeah. I started watching it the first like five minutes and I was like, I can't do it I'm in the mood for this kind of movie. She plays the mother of a of a teenager dying uh, in a battle with cancer. She's very religious. So Yikes. Hard pass. So there's your mother. There's your mother role, Kyle. There you go. Yeah, she's done it now, but it, it maybe four times total in her whole career. I think that's remarkable. Yep. All right. Um, let's get into the Munson meter. So what we do, we rate every actor on a scale of zero to hundred based on a variety of factors. They could include, uh, things like longevity, project choice, pop culture, impact, acting range, their awards, footprint, personal life, other talents they might have, comedic chops, box office success, or anything that else that matters to us is Munson's. And this time we will start with Rigby. Nev Campbell, you know, the heart of Scream. Scream, I think is... To me, it's like Halloween. It's going to be always up there for the for the upper echelon of horror movies, top five probably in my in my uh, in my eyes. And yeah, she she runs the whole thing. You know, while Courtney Cox and other that movie has other you know really good supporting characters, it wouldn't be possible without Nev Campbell. And I think that's awesome because she'll always be known for that. And whether she wants to or not, that's just kind of the I think what she's how her career is going to end up. You know, I I guess I'd like to see her in a little bit more dramatic stuff that's not like TV. You know, while Lincoln Lawyer and House of Cards stuff's fun, it's not so much memorable. And I'd like to see her really cement herself as in a serious drama um, that is known and remembered for years to come. Um, but I'm not taking away her ability to be a cultural icon with her, abil- with her uh, appearance in Scream. So she's going to get a pretty high score for me. She's going to get an 80. All right. James, I find her hard to rank because uh, unlike last Halloween episode that we did, where obviously she's famous for the Halloween series, she's in so many other movies and has such a wide range. Whereas with Nev Campbell, it's very specific. It is the Scream movies, a ton of TV in the 90s, and then she's really pick and choose her role since then. And um the range isn't quite there. Some of the movies I've seen, I haven't really enjoyed. Um, 
but Scream is a classic and Scream, you know, kind of reinvigorated the entire horror genre. But I don't know if that is enough for me to give her a higher score uh, than I'm going to, which is a 60. Stephanie, our guest months. 60? We don't score shame. <laughs> Unless it's a 60. I apologize. I love that. That that just came out of nowhere. You're going to shame my score then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you probably remember from last year, I tend to tend to rank pretty high, especially these Scream Queens. Hell yeah. I want to be honest and say that, you know, when you said we were talking about Nev Campbell, I was like, oh, God, you know, she's an absolute icon. And that's how I perceive her as an icon. But then you sent the list over and said, like, all right, here's all her credits. And I was like, holy shit, like, I've not seen her in anything. I, I feel like she is this <laughs> brilliant actress. And then I think about, like, everything I've seen her in. And it's there's, like, only a handful of things that really had an impact on me. But I think those handful of things had such an impact that, you know, she does submit herself as an icon status, especially for, you know, horror fans like me. Um, she is top tier, upper echelon when it comes to scream queens and horror icons and people who've had a real big influence in the genre. So um, she's pretty important to me for those reasons. I did. I, so I looked her up on Metacritic and she's got a pretty dismal score of 54. Um, and, you know, I would definitely say that she's been in some not great or unforgettable films or she hasn't like as as you mentioned, she's done a lot of TV. She hasn't done a lot of film, actually, that's very memorable. Um, but I do think you know I did study a lot before this podcast so I could have say that I've seen her in more than just genre stuff. And um, I think that she shines in anything she's in. And I do think that she tends to be the best part of anything she's in. So even when you're watching something that's not that great, she's still so freaking watchable yep. um, and kind of lights up the screen that I, I think that that elevates her a lot for me. You know, I do just think that there are some roles and performances that are so iconic that an actor will forever be ingrained in popular culture and film history, even if they never did anything else their entire career. Yeah. But if, you know, Nev Kimball never did anything other than Sidney Prescott, she would still be an absolute treasure. You know, though she announced that she's not going to be returning to Scream 6 due to dispute with the producers over her compensation, she's really proven to be irreplaceable. There will never be anyone else like her. She has always been and will forever be the face of that franchise. And that franchise is forever going to be so important to the genre. Um, so because of all this, I am going to rank her pretty high. I'm going to give her an 85. On my end, you know, I, you guys have nailed it on the horror icon side. One of the better final girls out there. A lot of agency to her character. Badass. Like, takes care of her business and is not helpless. That's really cool to see and to see it happen over and over again. And honestly, as I was watching more of her stuff, she's got a lot more nuance to her dramatic acting than I thought she would have especially outside the genre. Um, unfortunately, to that, a lot of the movies, and Case talked about it with the data snapshot, a lot of the other stuff she's done has not been received very well. And a lot of times it's not necessarily because of her, but again, that's a project choice piece at the end of the day. And, you know, props to her for taking some time away, kind of reevaluate, and so that way she can try some new stuff, which I think worked because she started to do more TV work versus, you know, doing more horror stuff that she had kind of bit her bread and butter for so long. Uh, she's done some really cool philanthropic work over the years, so I give her credit for that, and obviously staying up for self and negotiations for Scream. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how they do with that without her. I just um, can't anticipate that it, the horror fans are really going to lean in too hard without her being involved in the project. Huge pop culture impact, um, 
and for being like a screen put, she's like this one of the sweetest humans I've ever seen in interviews. Like every time I've seen her interviewed, she's the nice. I mean, she's carrying that flag of Canadian and that brand well. She's super, super sweet, very nice, seems to be extremely pleasant. Uh, she might be faking it until she makes it sometimes, but she seems to do well there. And I know I've talked about it a little bit, but the idea of her only ever doing like less than five mom roles over her career when those are roles she could have taken on, I think is really cool. Yeah. Not doing it. So for me, as I, I'm kind of balancing between the, the flow of things, I'm going to give her, I sticking to my rubric, I'm going to give her 67. All right, Case. I think you're rounding us out. You guys have nailed most all of it. Uh, I always like to preface my score with it really is made up and it has no reality. And uh, sometimes I just throw numbers out. But the things I, I would like to say about her career, number one, I mean, she has carried a franchise since her mid-20s. Anything I've seen her in, like I said earlier, I measure all the other performances in a movie I see her in against her. She's a badass, has been for 30 years. I can't wait to see what else she comes out with. And with that, I'm going to give her a score of 85. You had a good idea, Stephanie. Nice. Nice. Right. I was going to ask if I could change my score to like 135, just to <laughs> fix this curve a little bit. <laughs> I mean, to defend myself, I am essentially just a slave to my prior scores and I'm shackled by them. And at the, I don't, I begrudgingly give out scores at this point because I'm like, all right, well, if I give her a 60, then I'm really like, do I think that poorly of this actor that I talked about 60 episodes ago? Like I, I, I'm not happy about these scores either. I promise you. James, at this point, uh, as soon as we're done with an episode, I can't remember any of the other ones we've done. So I just, that shit is gone. With that last score that gives Nev Campbell a 75.4, which puts her in 32nd place, sandwiched between Michael Sheen and Keith David. Kyle, what was the rank? 32, which is higher than her 43rd on the data snapshot. Yeah. So I like, always like comparing it. Still in the ballpark, though. Yep. Yes, it is. All right. Uh, James, what does she have coming? It's going to be with one of the Munson alums, and she's going to be starring in an episode of Twisted Metal, one of our favorite childhood video games. So she plays Raven. Uh, I do not remember if that is a character from the game or not, but I'm excited to see it. It just sounds like such an absurd show that I'm very fascinated by it. And then she is the lead in a show that I believe is in pre-production, uh, called Avalon, where it is a sheriff detective in a small town uh, of Avalon on the Catalina Islands. So that'll be sexy California. Um, and uh, it's a career-defining mystery, and I believe she's the main star. We've got five actors we're throwing onto the wheel for the next episode. Uh, it's going to land on November 3rd, and that's why this is the Halloween episode, because it's the only... It's the last one before Halloween actually happens. Um, but we're bringing back Laura Benneke for our next episode. She was here previously for J-Lo, Gary Cole, and Bonnie Hunt. Yeah, but these are the five actors we threw onto the wheel. And the wheel selected one of them, and Laura chose to come for this actor. We've got Mary Kay Place, Tom Hollander, Jim Belushi, Hal Holbrook, and Ben Schwartz. What do we think? What do we like about that list? So I think the bait is Belushi because of the Chicago connection. Um, if it was John Belushi, I would dive headfirst into choosing that. But because it's Jim, I'm not as sure. Yeah, we, we know she loves her Chicago actors. Right. I would love to uh, cover Ben Schwartz. I think he's hilarious. The voice of Sonic. 
most recently. And also the funniest side character in almost any show I've seen is Jean Ralphio. Let's see here. Mary Kay Place. I don't know much about Mary Kay Place other than the Aubrey Plaza joke that she makes at the ISAs a couple of years ago. She says something about Mary Kay Place. What do you do? You sack of shit. And I, ever since then, I'm like, oh, maybe I want to learn more about Mary Kay Place. <laughs> I don't know who Tom Hollander is. This is going to be a learning episode for me, no matter who it is. You know who Tom Hollander is. He's the... I know him most from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. He's a, He was in Bohemian Rhapsody, too. Oh, I know Hal Holbrook. Damn, Hal Holbrook's from... Yes. Tom Hollander is. Yep, he plays one of the record execs, right? Yep. Hal Holbrook was in World War II. This is an old, old dude. Yeah, he's <laughs> dead. He's dead, yeah. He died a few years ago. He's, he's in some great movies, though. We get to talk about Wall Street. He lived to be 95. That's impressive. Into the Wild. He plays the old guy in Into the Wild, yeah. That's what I'm that's, thinking of. I was thinking, I was thinking of that. I, he was nominated for an Oscar for that role. Yep. Remember that now. Yep. Yep. Lincoln, he plays Preston Blair. He actually and, knew Lincoln personally. Or <laughs> <laughs> a speechwriter for him. All the President's Men. Oh, yeah, he's deep throat in All the President's Men. Yep. So there's some, yeah, that's he's got a good movie. Yeah. That's such a good movie. I am team firmly team Jim Belushi. The role I think of with Jim Belushi, and it's probably not one he would want me to associate with him as the first, but is his role as Santa in Jingle All the Way, one of the sketchy Santas. Yep, that's all the first one that comes to mind. <laughs> Dude, Kyle, I still say that line. All sales are fine. Oh. <laughs> opens the he opens the Turbo Man, and it's in Spanish. He goes, "It's fun and educational." <laughs> I'm with you, Kyle. I always remember that role. All right. Glad I'm not alone. The only other movie I can think of with him is gang related with Tupac. I remember him playing that, like, the bad cop in that movie. I talked about a movie on the uh, Rene Russo episode, Mr. Destiny, with Jim Belushi. Okay. I like that movie. Mary Kay Place, her top IMDb credits are Being John Malkovich, Girl Interrupted, and I've never seen The Big Chill. I actually need to watch it. John Rigby would love that I watched it finally. It's a good movie. Since it's about the University of Michigan grads. Yeah, it's a good movie. Students. What about you, Stephanie? What would you pick of those five? I would probably pick Hal Holbrook. Nice. Me it's too. a good choice. Creep show, too. So. But we don't pick the fucking wheel decides, as Kyle always says. Let's hear it. Come on. <laughs> what do we think Laura would pick, though? That's the final question before I move us on. It's Belushi. Yeah, Belushi. Gotta be Belushi. You're going with the, the obvious and air quotes choice? Going with the Chicago Homer pick. Well, she doesn't decide. Uh, we don't decide. Stephanie doesn't decide. The wheel decides. We'll see what happens. We've reached the peak of the mountain. That is episode 73. Stephanie, you're always wonderful. We love having you here for our annual horror Halloween episode because you bring such a wonderful perspective on this as a fan and somebody who's been in this world and your reviews are always so detailed it's like it's like prose i love it so this is your opportunity to plug anything that you're working on plug the pod plug the website or any wise words for audio thank you so much yeah um i mean obviously morbidlybeautiful.com is the website um, and we're a horror website, so this is a big time of year for us. We're posting a lot of great content right now. Um, lots of new series, like really cool stuff that I'm excited about. Um, and then my podcast is Cheer and Loathing, and it's basically um, 
the the shtick is that I love everything and my co-host hates everything. Um, and he, he really does infuriate me most of the time because he hates on everything that I love. <laughs> it's it's pretty humorous and we basically just fight about stuff the whole time. So um, that's fun. Um, it's nice to be around people who aren't angry all the time, though. So thank you guys for oh. having me on. <laughs> Y'all have a great banter on that show. It's fun to listen to. Thank you. Yeah, Stephanie, you're uh, you're one of my you're one of my favorites because your reviews. You can tell that you really, really put a lot of preparation into coming on. So that means a lot to us, and, uh, and we really do. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. It's an honor. Well, as we wrap up, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can catch us on the IG, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Nev Campbell? You forgot the first rule of remakes. Don't fuck with the original. <laughs> Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? Hello? Hello, Sydney. Remember me? What do you want? I want you. It's showtime. Then why don't you show your face, you fucking coward?